Welcome to Welcome to Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Season 1, Episode 14 of Charmed, Secrets and Guys. I'm sorry, what a terrible name for this episode. No, I like this episode because it's all about secrets and also Piper's whole Leo thing. Uh, what the episodes are about, secrets and guys. Honestly, I think this would have worked way better as a title for... Uh, that episode where Peru cast the truth spell the same night uh, Phoebe and Piper cast the finding dude spell. The truth is out there and it hurts. Yeah. Episode 8, directed yeah. by James A. Conter. Wow. The same person who directed this episode. Wait, seriously? Yeah. But this episode is so much better than that episode. Well, this episode was written by Constance M. Burge and Sherilyn J. Anderson. Ah. Uh, so. Which, this episode is like... It's weird because it's not a particularly significant episode, I guess, outside of finding out about white lighters. Never mind. Yeah, this is the episode where we learn what white lighters are. You know, I just said Sherilyn J. Anderson. It's Cheryl J. Anderson. Uh, I, I, I feel like that name is familiar to me, though. Cheryl Lynn. Oh, I don't, I don't Cheryl know. Cheryl Lynn Anderson sounded really familiar to me. Yeah, no, she's just Cheryl J. Anderson. In, in fact, our listeners might recall that... You know, she's a, an executive producer on this show, and she's written other episodes, and I bought her book, Killer Heels, and was going to read it before we got to another episode she had done so I could report back. That has not happened. Maybe before the next episode she wrote. Also, I should mention that this episode has a story by credit to Constance M. Burge and Brad Kern, mm. and so I'm very comfortable blaming the terrible Piper subplots on Brad Kern. Yes, because it has a lot of the hallmarks of stuff that come up in Brad Curran episodes later. Not that we're constantly, you know, saying everything good about the show is Constance and Burge and everything bad is Brad Kern. I mean, not constantly saying that. But... <laughs> but, yeah, this, I guess... The, I, I guess I tend to think of Constance and Burge as more doing big mythology episodes... Which I guess this is, but a lot of... I mean, of... Leo comes back. Yeah, Leo comes back, and we find out about White Lighters, but also a lot of the stuff we find out about White Lighters doesn't track with stuff we find out about White Lighters later. Well, that's true. But I feel like the stuff that we see now was what was in the show Bible, and then they just changed their minds as they went on. Yeah, I mean, not that the White Lighters are ever consistent in this show. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about this episode. All right. So the episode opens with our innocent of the week. Yes, a boy named Max. Okay, so does that get to you? Is that hard for you? Okay, so Max is, I, is as I believe I've mentioned on the show before, a name that comes in cycles. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, there were a lot of Maxes in pop culture. Oh, okay. I don't know if you would remember this but the dog in the little mermaid was named max oh yeah yeah he was there was mighty max which was Polly pocket but for dudes oh okay i totally i don't remember that at all but yeah it, okay. was, it was Polly pocket but for dudes and they had like uh it had a cartoon which was weirdly violent considering the source material mm. but like max was a name that was in the ether when i was a kid so okay yeah. I had a friend named Sebastian when I was a kid. Speaking of weird little mermaid names, so. Oh, oh. Well, also, he would have, well, if he was your age, he was probably just a little too young for the animated Belle and Sebastian. There was an animated Belle and Sebastian? 
the band is named after the French-Japanese cartoon. It was, back in the 80s, there were a lot of French-Japanese partnerships making children's cartoons. Belle and Sebastian was one of them. Huh. You know, his parents were French, so I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. Oh, well, Belle and Sebastian is based on a French novel that's fairly famous. Uh. So, it's about a boy and his giant white dog. Hmm. The dog is Belle. Ah. Sebastian is the boy. I guess that's obvious, but... <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, a young boy named Max is having uh, dinner with his father when suddenly armed men break into the room and kidnap him. Yep. And they tell his dad not to worry that they'll bring him back after they're done with him, which is the sort of thing I think you would worry about. I I mean, they tell him not to call the police and that then they'll return the kid, which I, that is the way to get someone to not call the police, right? Yeah, I yeah, I guess, yeah. So we cut from that. It, it's a very short scene just to establish, hey, this is going on. And then we cut to the sisters who are using Prue's telekinesis for spring cleaning. Yep. Well, Prue is doing the spring cleaning. The three of them are just chilling in the attic and watching Prue use her telekinesis to do spring cleaning while Phoebe paints her nails. Mm. And Piper picks something up every, like, ten minutes and pretends like she's cleaning. Okay, so the scene kind of sets up that this episode is going to be about kids the boy who was kidnapped, Max. Right. But it also works with something we haven't really addressed much, or we've addressed but the show hasn't addressed much, that this is the house where the girls grew up. Because a lot of what they're cleaning up is old toys, which is the sort of thing you would expect to see in, you know, the house you grew up in. But we haven't really seen so much in the Hallowell Manor up to this point. Yeah, and it makes sense because I think our listeners might recall when we saw Phoebe's bedroom for the first time, I was surprised at what looked like the kind of decorating a 60-year-old woman would do in their house and not a bedroom a teenager had grown up in. So it makes sense now if everything was moved to the attic after the girls moved out. Although I 100% believe that Grams would have got rid of everything Phoebe owned the minute she wasn't in the house anymore. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So Prue asks if this kind of telekinetic spring cleaning counts as personal gain like why even bring it up because it's it's so problematic don't even make us think about if it's personal gain or not from the way that y'all talk about personal gain it's a constance and burge episode though they they... she's looser with personal gain which is fair because i mean for one thing i was thinking about this as i was watching it this is a good way for prue to like hone and practice her powers and that's the same excuse they used to cast the love spell in that one episode. Well, I'm saying, you know, the strictness with which personal gain is applied in later seasons, practicing in order to get better is personal gain. Well, personal gain, I know we've talked about this so much up to this point, and we'll continue to for the rest of the show. Yeah, it's not like the show is going to get more... Cohesive. Yeah. But personal gain, speaking of, personal gain is so inconsistently like enforced by the universe Mm-hmm. like what is and is not personal gain it like you've said before it's a bad rule to introduce into the show it's a witch show you want them to do magic right and also 
I mean, honestly, there shouldn't be any non-healing, non-demon vanquishing spells in the book. You know, we don't actually see witches do much in the way of healing, which you'd think would be more of a thing. Yeah, you think that would be a really strong specialty. I mean, I guess, obviously, white lighters sort of take up that niche. But... And I guess if every witch has a white lighter, as they will later, not now, but later. But it's just healing sort of this thing you commonly go to for witches. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> so. Kit Watch? Yes, Kit Watch 2020. Kit is uh, bothered by all the telekinetic objects moving around. Yeah including phoebe's diaries yes okay so i like this speaking of continuity in this episode oh this episode is really good with continuity yeah so phoebe says the diaries are where she kept all of her secrets and her sisters give her a hard time because she can't keep a secret in fact she couldn't even keep prue's surprise party a secret which they bring up yeah which we already saw in the episode dead man dating aka the John Cho episode. Yes. Yes. So Phoebe wants to keep all of the toys and all of the old stuff for the children, for the future. Because that is her thing, the future. But, oh, that is her thing! Although, honestly, I think she just doesn't want to, you know, go through the effort of throwing everything out. I can't believe I didn't pick up on that. But Prue's like, yeah, no, uh, I'm not having kids. Like, the world's a really messed up place, and demons are attacking us all the time. You'd have to be a really irresponsible, selfish, awful person to want kids, Piper. And Piper's like, mm-hmm. Prue says, uh, let's put off this conversation. We can have it later in, like, five years, which is quite a genius dodge for Prue. <laughs> oh. Saying someone's not going to be having a conversation with Prue in five years. She won't even visit them as a ghost. Yeah, yeah. Which I love is how, so rude. I love how Grams is like, no, no, she's just adjusting to being a ghost. It's a thing. She can't come back. She's not ready yet. And then she's dead for like five more years in show. And oh, she stepped away from her desk for a minute. She's over there. She's behind that tree. Oh. She's having sex with the... Uh, She's hiking the Appalachian Trail? No, that remember in Angel, the episode where Angel and Spike go to find Buffy and she's having sex with that, like, the immortal guy or whatever? Oh, yeah, no, I don't. You know why? Because I skip that episode when I get to it because it's terrible. It's so terrible that the comics retconned it to be a robot. That was really weird. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking with that. It, they'll, they'll... And they couldn't even show her because they didn't have Buffy rights anymore? Yeah, it, it's... Although they had Andrew. Well, he had... No. I'm sure there was some sort of agreement in place that was very detailed. Yeah. There, there's this episode, like, in the last season of Angel, where, like, it's... Angel and Spike are both looking for Buffy, and it turns out she's having sex with this like weird immortal guy who kept on like showing up to pull pranks on them throughout their vampiric careers and they're like oh i guess he won again because he because buffy's with him now and by buffy they mean a actress wearing a blonde wig whose face we never see so this episode is so universally reviled that in the comics which pick up after the end of the series we discover that the Buffy that Spike and Angel saw was actually a Buffy bot and not actually Buffy. 
I wasn't aware that that episode had such a bad reputation. Oh, yeah. Wow. Weird. I mean, I don't really think about it ever, but... You think that's a good sign? No, but I mean, there's lots of later Angel stuff. That Middling stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the last season of Angel picked up a lot. Like, the Jasmine stuff started really... Dra- well, especially during the Cordelia pregnancy bits, uh. where it dragged so much. And it was just like everything they did in the last season was like a breath of fresh air. There's like five episodes during Cordelia's pregnancy that all take place over a single day. And she's wearing that horrible outfit the whole she time. She is wearing that horrible outfit the whole time. Oh, poor Charisma Carpenter. I don't want this to come off like body shamey or whatever, but that outfit was at this weird intersection of look how pregnant I am and look how sexy I am. And I'm not saying those two things can't cross, but they crossed very bizarrely there. Okay, well, knowing that she was fired off of Angel for being pregnant and that she did not have a good relationship with Joss Whedon at that point, I kind of always assumed that he put her in that outfit as, like, a sick punishment. Mm. It's not a good outfit. God, it... Which is weirdly kind of a callback to earlier in Angel, when, uh, you remember the Princess of Pylea outfit? Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it's funny, because I actually feel like... Go- Spe- specifically remember her complaining yes, about Yes, the- I do, I do. <laughs> Sorry, go on. I-, I actually feel like, weirdly, going back to you saying how it's at a weird intersection of look how sexy I am and look how pregnant I am, one of the problems I have with that outfit is that it's kind of weirdly billowy, in a way that when she walks down the stairs and it's supposed to be a shock that she's pregnant, for a second you're not sure if it's her or the dress. Mm. It, it, so it doesn't do that job well either. Like, they needed, like, a great bodycon dress for her, which is not what they got. Yeah, it's a really bizarre outfit, and I can definitely see it being chosen to punish Charisma Carpenter. Uh. It's okay, she got out. She went on and she did other things. Including Charmed. Including Charmed. Where she played a demon who could see the future because... Char- it's her niche. I, I, I suppose. I mean, she also plays Kendall on Veronica Mars. I was about to say, she was really good in Veronica Mars. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Charmed. So we go from the manor to... Max being held hostage in a car garage. Yeah, I actually put in my notes, kidnapper exposition. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that this kid, Max, has an ability. One of the kidnappers believes in this ability. The other one doesn't. Well, the one who believes in it believes in it because his little brother is friends with Max Mm -hmm. and saw him disable... A security system in an arcade. Right. Okay, so here's the thing. These kidnappers are threatening to kill this kid at every turn if he doesn't help them disable alarm systems for their own thievery. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're going to kill your little brother's best friend and you think that's going to go well for you? Yeah, you don't think this is going to come back to you at all? Like... I'm pretty sure the dad, later in the episode, I'm pretty sure the dad knows who the kidnapper is. Yeah, the dad and Prue figure it out, like, really quickly. Just, they're not, they're not, they're not a brain trust over here. So, 
one of the kidnappers is like, yeah, sure, whatever. This kid can uh, disable alarm systems with his mind, whatever. Which, why did you go along with the kidnapping then? But, So they leave the kid alone in the room. You know, they're like, okay, so we're going to go get ready for our uh, series of robberies using you as, you know, the de-alarming guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just chill out in this room all tied up. And as soon as they leave, the kid immediately starts using his power and he accesses the spirit board because this is a Constance and Burge episode. There's continuity and the spirit board is important here. Yeah, yeah. So he accesses the spirit board in the manor and spells out help Max, mm. which is both really cool and not informative enough. Yeah, it's like, like I guess he was kidnapped, so he doesn't know super where he is, but... Maybe give them more information than that. Yeah. I also really like what they do with this kid's power. I, He says that it's psychokinesis. He can move things he can't see, which is not what psychokinesis is. It's okay. But, we'll go with it. Yeah. But I like it because it's this kind of... It's a good balance of a useful power that doesn't overshadow the charmed one's powers, which is a lot of what we get later in the show. There's a lot of like one-off witches who have powers that seem a lot better than the charmed powers. Yeah, this is a cool power. You can instantly see why he would have been kidnapped for it. But at the same time, you're not like, hey, why don't they just call Max every time something comes up later in the series? Yeah. So we ha- after that, we have the opening credits, and then we have... Did, did you time it I, out? I love that you do. I t- 45 seconds. 45 full seconds, which is a long time in screen time, of establishing shots of San Francisco. You suggested while we were watching it that maybe San Francisco paid for this because there are nice shots of San Francisco, but I, there's so many of them. I was feeling like maybe they get a tax break. Like maybe they, well, they don't shoot in San Francisco though. It's, it's a lot, though. We go over the piers, you know, we go over the bay, we go through the city streets, we see a trolley. A streetcar. Yeah, we see a streetcar. Like, it's every San Francisco thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, back at the manor, after we're done with the 10,000 establishing shots, they're trying to figure out who or what Max is. Phoebe suggests that, you know... It's a ghost, and Prue's like, ghost, that's stupid. And Phoebe's like, John Cho. Yeah, although to be fair to Prue, she's like, yeah, help Max isn't a lot to go on. And it's not. Now, you mentioned that we can tell this is a Constance and Burge episode because there's the spirit board and this respect for continuity. Mm-hmm. And I would like to suggest that the next thing that happens is all Brad Kern, and that's not knowing what Piper does for a living anymore. Okay, yeah, this whole episode is about Piper dealing with a new asshole head chef at Quake. She's supposed to be the head chef. We had a whole episode about this where the guy who owned the restaurant came back from vacation and was making her do all of these different jobs. And she was like, no, I am a chef. I do chef thing. Me chef. And he's like, okay, you'll only do chef things now. That was actually in the The Truth is Out There and It Hurts episode because he was under a compulsion to tell her the truth and he told her, the reason I'm not hiring anyone else to do these jobs is because you'll do them for free, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, so 
what is this? What is this thing where there's a new head chef that she has no power over? Yeah, she has to go, like, coddle this chef who threw away her knives. And, I, I mean... That gets you fired. Not just fired. Like, chefs, chefs are very particular about their knives. Like, no. No. So, Prue's like, I guess I should go to Andy and see if he knows anything about a missing Max. And Phoebe's like, really? Really? Andy. Andy's where we're going with this. And Prue's like, come on, he's in the opening credits. (laughs) Phoebe says that she'll go look at the Book of Shadows and see if it has instructions on the spirit board. Explaining what to do if someone tries to contact you via spirit board. Honestly, Phoebe should just start touching stuff to see if she can get a premonition. You know, there are no premonitions in this episode. Really? Yeah. Huh. I I thought they always made sure that everyone used their powers at least once, but I guess we're... uh... I thought they did too. I think this actually might be the first episode where everyone doesn't use it at least once. Hmm. Because yeah, we don't see any Phoebe premonitions. And honestly, Piper's time freeze is really wedged in there. Hmm. It's like... Piper doesn't really time freeze as much as she does the Zach Morris timeout from the early seasons of Saved by the Bell. Does he not do it later? Yeah, he doesn't do it later. But, yeah, she just freezes time to, like, have emotions at us, the audience, and then she, like, unfreezes. I saw this video about Zach Morris's timeout thing where they're, like, they, they showed examples of it being a canonical, like, it's not just a storytelling device. He actually does freeze time. Yeah, because he changes, he changes things when he freezes time. Yeah. Honest to God, I would love a series that was about a grown-up Zach Morris. You know, just a grown-up sociopath who can freeze time. Because that is what Zach Morris is. Well, I mean, that's why they phased it out later. Because otherwise there's too many questions. There's already a lot of questions raised by Saved by the Bell. Like, why this entire class decided to move together to why California. Why did everyone move to California together? Why has no one punched Zach yet? Because time freeze. Well, I mean... Why are we supposed to like Screech? Yeah, right? Oof. And I, I'm a I'm a soft touch for nerds sometimes. I don't know, actually. Yeah, he's like the stalkery kind of nerd, though. He's the stalkery kind of nerd that in the 90s people wanted you to think was sweet and romantic when actually it's just uncomfortable. Sorry, I, I just keep on going back to the college humor sketch. Where, like, where they're like, you know, you know, 80% of Revenge About the Nerds is just rape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, all frat movies, I feel like that's kind of why frat movies stop being a thing after a while, because... They're all basically all about sexual assault. Yeah. I tried watching Animal House a few years ago because I know it's a classic movie and stuff, and I could not make it through it. I was like, oh my god, I want everyone in this movie to die or go to jail or something because... Well, that's why I really like the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where they go skiing because the premise is that up on the mountain everything works the way it works in a ski movie. And in in actuality, it's like a bunch of sexual assaults and it gets called out in in an amusing manner. Yes. So Piper hangs up and she has to go... (laughs) She has to go fix everything that this new chef is breaking because 
Piper does not get good plots, but what she does get is a face full of Leo. Yeah, she opens the door to run out. There's Leo. Leo is back. And, okay, when Phoebe sees Leo, she's like, hey, Leo, want to come back here and fix my chandelier? And I'm like, wait, why are you still flirting with him? I thought this was, I thought we were done with this. I thought that you realized you were only flirting with him to be mean to Piper and you were going to stop that shit. Yeah, and like, she's pushing them together, kind of, in the rest of the episode. Oh, pushing Piper and Leo together. Yeah, in the rest of the episode she is, but in this scene, she's pushing something else together and like, arching her back and sticking it out. But I mean, Alyssa Milano and Brian Krauss were dating at the time, right? Um, okay, so they weren't dating yet. They didn't start dating until a couple of years into the show. God, that's so weird. And if I remember right, I think he was married to someone else when he started dating Alyssa Milano, and then that ended. Ah, how very uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt of them. Yes. God, it's, it is kind of weird that she, she was dating the guy who, uh, you know, was married to her fake sister. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how in Heroes, the guy who played Milo Vigliamo or whatever, the guy who played uh, uh-huh. Peter was dating What's-Her-Face, the girl who played Claire, and then in the show, he turned out to be her uncle. Whoa. Yeah. That's weird. Um, I was thinking about how on Dexter, Dexter started- Michael C. Hall started dating the woman who played his sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an uncommon thing. But it is kind of gross. Well, my lock screen on my phone is our daughter now, but it used to be you and I dressed as uh, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. Point. Oh, uh, whichever one of the Brady boys was sleeping with What's-Her-Bucket, the mom in that show. Weren't they all sleeping with each other? Uh, I don't know. I know the dad was gay in real life. Right. And hated everyone. Yes. Other than that, I think they were all sleeping with each other. God. I guess if you come of age on the same... Uh, I mean, you spend all your time with, like, these people, and they're the only people who really know what your life is like. Mm. I'm just saying it's, like, a bonding thing. And and not just for child actors, like, on The Brady Bunch. Like, filming Charmed, you're with this tiny group of people all the time. You must grow pretty close-knit. It makes sense that they would have an affair. I mean, didn't Brian Krause end up sleeping with, like, every villain slash victim of the week that came onto the show after a certain point? Oh my gosh, so before we sat down to do this podcast, not this episode, but this whole podcast, Mm -hmm. I watched a bunch of Q&As, and for whatever reason, Holly Marie Combe and Brian Krause are, like, up for anything. There are, like, hundreds of Q&As that are just the two of them, and, and, and fewer that have more people from the cast. But... At one Q&A, somebody asked, what souvenirs did you take home from the set? And Holly Marie Combs, like, indicates Brian Krause and is like, uh, he took home all the extras. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't follow anyone from the show on uh, Twitter, but I was recently looking up Chris stuff because for, for some reason, I got kind of weird. I'm kind of weirdly excited to talk about Chris. Okay, I'm very excited to talk about Chris because that plot is so weird. But, like, there's some really cute interactions between Holly Marie Combs and the actor who plays Chris and the actor who plays Grown Up Wyatt on Twitter. Oh, oh, I guess I, have, I don't think I follow. I should follow them. 
like the the actor who played Wyatt was like, "Happy birthday, mom!" on Holly Marie Combs's set, and I was like, "That's sweet." I mean, I'm sure she's not thrilled that a guy who's like five years younger than her is saying that, but but she yeah you know, she played with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's still really into Charmed, like as a concept, so I'm sure she was fine with it. Yeah, she was the one who was most vocal when they were rebooting Charmed. And look how well that turned out for everyone. Well, she wasn't a fan of it, so I'm glad she gets to be like, I told you so, even though... <laughs> I, even though I really wish New Charmed had been good. Yeah, we were all rooting for you, New Charmed. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> you were the chosen one. I'm sorry, I pivoted there. So Leo's back. Yes, so Leo is back. Leo in his 90s-ass jacket. Yeah, it is kind of 90s. Uh, anyway, he and... And Piper have a charged moment where they remember that they want to bone each other and they have a passionate kiss about it, which... Oh my. Yeah, okay, so... And then she just leaves. I love it. She, like, pulls him in for a passionate kiss and then she's like, yeah, but I have to go. Bye. Well, I think she remembers the thing that I was thinking when I was watching them kiss, which is, do you not want to exchange enough words to establish that neither of you is dating someone else, that you're still into each other before you just dive into this kiss? Eh, eh. I actually really like the resolution to their plot this episode. I mean, I know obviously it's a temporary thing. Leo comes back and is a major force later, but mm-hmm. I really like how Pipe. I'll, we'll, I'll get hold it. It. we'll get to it. So Leo enters the house to go fix Phoebe's chandelier. Oh. Oh my, yes. And we cut from that to Prue talking to Andy. And she's like, hey, so I had a dream that I was playing with the spirit board and it said that someone named Max needs help. And I was like, hey, I should go to my cop ex-boyfriend and ask him if anyone in San Francisco named Max was in trouble because of this dream I had. Okay. Okay. So what's weird is she says it was a Ouija type board and... Okay, I thought we were calling it a spirit board because we couldn't say Ouija board. Also, I mean, I know this hasn't happened yet, but is Andy not familiar with the spirit board? Because we know he played with them when they were kids, and they apparently played with it a lot when they were kids. Huh. I guess he never took part in that? I mean, it would make sense that their mother would want them to not be playing with it with other kids since it actually is magic. Yeah. You know what, though? Andy is super game, and I appreciate this. He types Max into the missing person's database. Okay, so Max was not an uncommon name at the time. Are we really supposed to believe that nobody named Max is in trouble in all of San Francisco? Right? Okay, so this him typing Max into that search engine, it, it made me think of... I was working on a deal at work, mm-hmm. and one of the things I have to do is check that there are no liens against people involved in the deals, and this person had had their name illegally changed to a single letter. Oof. And so I'm, like, searching the databases for this single letter. It was not database-friendly. My point is... Is that what they intended when they did that? Or was that just a a consequence? I think they were just being cool. Mm. I think they were just being a cool person. So, my theory is that Andy just pretended to search the database for Max. And is like, yep, nothing. Because there were really a thousand results. God, they should just tell Andy what's up. 
You literally fought a Wendigo with the guy. There's no reason that you should be playing coy at this point. I was actually thinking it would be really great at this point in the series if they kind of had a don't ask, don't tell relationship with Andy. You mean like what they end up having with Daryl later? Until well, they stop? Cause it, Daryl explicitly knows what's up with them. Later, but for a while he has the I don't want to know, I don't want to know thing. Like, yeah, he he helps them out, but he's like, look, I'm doing this because you had this thing with Andy and I know that there's something going on, but if you tell me more, I have to get involved. So I don't want to know. I mean, I think that's how it should be with Andy. And Andy should go to them and be like, okay, I know that you are able to do things. I don't want to know why. I, I can't really understand why, but here's some information about a missing person and maybe you can help us locate them. Oh, so you mean he should be like what everyone in Sunnydale High was to Buffy? Yes! Where they're like, okay, we know something's up with you. We don't know what it is, but you tend to solve this sort of problem. People seem to stop dying after you get involved with whatever's going on. So here's the problem. You handle it. Exactly. So back at Quake. All right. I I hate this plot so much. Like, I know we're supposed to hate this guy, Harry, this new chef. But he annoys me so much that I can't take pleasure from hating him. And I think maybe it's that it's too real. Mm. He's like the embodiment of, Lord grant me the confidence of a mediocre white male. He's being a chef in his boxers. I think those are... They might be shorts. I think they're... I think it's a bathing suit. That's what it looks like to me. Why? Those aren't comfortable. Oh, actually, you know what they are? They're... They're these, like, patterned dress shorts that all the frat guys wore in the South when I was going to University of Alabama. Oof. So Piper's like, hey, jackass, you're out of uniform. You threw out all the menus. You threw out my fancy knives. What are you doing? He's like, I don't need to listen to you. You're just a hostess. I'm the head chef. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Can I... I I don't want to well actually hear you here, but I'm going to well actually you here because mm-hmm. what he actually says is you're just the manager unless you want to be the executive chef. She was. She does want to be. the. What is happening? How come? How come people on this show can't keep track of what Piper does for a living? It's not that difficult. It's a very basic thing. It's like one of the first jobs you learn when you're a when you're a child. Yes, it's like a Richard Scary job, right? Yes. It Piper ex- is a chef. Exactly. So, what is this weird she's a manager but she can't fire him cuz she's like you're fired and he's like, "Ha, no, I'm not." And then she freezes him and throws his crab raviolis into the garbage. Okay, first of all, now you're just wasting food. Secondly, I feel like you would have had more power if you had done that in front of him to his face rather than freezing him and doing it. And I guess I took as a given only the owner can hire and fire as manager. Piper cannot. But you can't manage a restaurant if you don't have the authority to hire and fire. Yeah. Also, she's not the manager. Yeah, yeah, and also she's not the manager. I This... This whole plot, it it makes me upset. It upsets me. God. And it's, 
The way they resolve it is awful because, spoiler alert, he just quits off screen. I know! It's like they were tired of writing it, I'm tired of watching it, maybe take another pass at this script. Like, you can just not have Piper be in a lot of the episode. That's okay. You could devote a little bit more time to her and Leo. Maybe have them, like, actually spend a day together before Leo does the thing where he tells her he has to leave. Yeah, or hell, you could just have her be really busy at the restaurant. But I think, actually, if they had had her and Leo spend some time together in this episode, it would have been more bittersweet when he couldn't stay. Mm. So, Piper calls Phoebe and she's like, hey, is Leo around? Because I really need to, you know, hear a good man voice before I start, you know, stabbing dudes. And Phoebe's like, let me go get him. Walks into the next room and sees Leo levitating so he can change a light bulb. Oh my god, you massive goober. <laughs> yeah, is this like his first day as a white lighter? We know it isn't. Oh my gosh. Okay, I want to bring up something that we've never mentioned before, but it's a thing this show does a lot. Piper is on the phone with Phoebe, and that's the way we do the scene transition from Quake to the Manor. They do that quite a bit on this show, and I like it, and I think it's kind of like... A stylistic thing that this show does that I don't think is that common. I think it's a it's unique in this show. It's really good kinetic storytelling. It keeps things moving. It maintains narrative flow really well. Yeah. So Leo falls to the ground as soon as he's caught by Phoebe, and Phoebe's like, "Gotta go, Piper!" And then she points the phone at Leo, and she's like, "You're a warlock, aren't you?" And he's like, "No. You can tell by the fact that I've never stabbed any of you." I mean, that's what he says. He's like, "If I was gonna." you i had lots of chances to kill you that's not as reassuring as you think it is and i really like the fact that he's holding the light bulb and it's glowing throughout the scene and phoebe notices it so it's like like yeah no it's a nice incidental detail and i just love her expression because he's kind of waving it around he's like no 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 you don't have to worry and her eyes are just on the glowing light bulb yeah and then they do the weird thing in the scene where she's like okay if you're not a warlock and you're not a witch what are you and then we cut away because we, the audience, have to be held in suspense. He's, He's a white, white lighter. lighter. Jinx, buy me a Coke. Okay. Next next grocery run, I will buy you a Coke. Oh, God, right? I, I suddenly have the urge, like, a really, really strong urge for Special K, just because I know I can't run out and buy it whenever. I know. The cereal, not the drugs. Theoretically, you can still buy those drugs. I don't know what Special K is. I'm not a... Uh, it's ketamine. Oh. Theoretically, it's an animal tranquilizer slash party drug. I wouldn't think those two things would mix. Here we are. (laughs) Isn't that like the first thing every human uh, civilization creates? Tranquilizers or party drugs? Party drugs, but okay. So the next scene interrupts Leo before he can explain what he is to Phoebe, and it is the criminals who are testing out Max's power on just some random ass building yeah they've gone to an office park and it's it's a software company we'll find out but that doesn't really matter they show max some blueprints of the building showing the schematics and tell him to use his powers to shut off the alarm Mm -hmm. and he's like my mom told me not to use my powers to do bad things and this is bad and so the kidnappers, there's basically the main kidnapper and the nice kidnapper. The main kidnapper is like, well, you used your powers to break into the arcade, didn't you? And 
this poor kid must be like, fuck, this is all my fault. My mom said, don't use your powers to do bad things. Then she died of cancer. Use my powers to do one tiny bad thing. And now I'm getting hit with like the personal gain karma stick. Yeah. And one, one of the two guys is like, look, your mom may have said that, but she's dead now. And if you don't want your dad to join her, you're going to do this. Oh, yeah. They're also threatening his dad. Oof. So Max closes his eyes. He uses his powers to disable all of the alarms, which, you know, good going, Max. Yep. He really got the hang of this sort of thing pretty fast. Yeah, because we find out that he only just discovered his power. But unlike the charmed ones, he knew exactly how to use it almost immediately. Theoretically, he can use it for stuff other than disabling alarms, but... I still feel like that's really good, because the fact that they show him the blueprint schematic of the alarm system means that he has to have at least some understanding of how it works to shut it off. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, this seems pretty advanced. Good job, kid. Yeah, and we know he doesn't know about the Charmed Ones. I like the idea that he was just reaching out for help with his powers and... That was the conduit he was drawn to. Yeah, well, we find out that Leo helped kind of guide it. Mm, which, I mean, Leo, you, you could take a more direct hand in this sort of thing. Oh, but... oh, we'll get to that, like, in the next scene. Ugh. But first, the the mean kidnapper goes into the building basically to walk around and see that it worked. The alarm shut off. The door is unlocked. Yay, good test run. The uh, kidnapper who doesn't believe that Max has powers. Right. Who is not the brother of Max's friend. Right. The nice kidnapper is the brother of Max's friend. But, you know. Right. I mean, there's no such thing as a nice kidnapper, but yeah. Yeah, and they're they're both kind of assholes, so. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is important because the bad kidnapper, for, lot, for, for want of a better term, comes out of the building and is immediately accosted by a security guard and instead of like explaining it with one sentence which he probably could mm. like it's a security guard if he had said oh i work here i was just in on the weekend to pick up some paperwork i needed the security guard probably would have said oh okay because i, I don't have a response to that and left and maybe called into his security team like when they had driven away but no no he pulls a gun and he shoots him dead yeah i mean honestly there's a lot of things you could say like oh I had an interview here, but it looks like no one's here. Yeah. Like, he he doesn't shoot the guard dead. He shoots the guard. Later we find out that the guard is still alive. Do we? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Okay. You say so. But so, my point is that the nice kidnapper, hmm. like, kind of, he he grabs he grabs Max to keep him from shouting. But I also felt like he was pulling him away to, like, not see this guy getting shot. Well, don't take him to crime scenes then, dude. Or don't partner with someone who's going to go shooting all willy-nilly. Well, I mean, that is really the lesson that everybody should take from this. Yes. So, Phoebe is having tea with Leo in the sunroom. Yeah, in their Florida room. Yeah, and uh, Leo's explaining what a white lighter is to her. He's like, we're like guardian angels for witches, although guardian angels are going to be a whole separate thing later for like one episode. But I mean, really, white lighters are guardian angels. We heal, we guide. We're not supposed to interact with witches, but you caught me. Oops. Also, we heat up tea. Yeah, Leo, I mean, honestly, this is not something 
This is something Leo does for the rest of the show, where he has a bunch of kind of one-off powers. Yeah. But he, he, he leans over and he heats up Phoebe's tea that she's drinking. Is Cole... Uh, is this covered under his healing purview? He healed the tea. Yeah. Yeah. No, probably not. So... We get the impression from his explanation that white lighters kind of only help out rookie witches. Yeah, because he tells Phoebe that he was sent to watch over them when they first got their powers. By a group of elder white lighters called the Founders. I'm sorry, called what? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, they're never called the Founders again. They're called the Elders. Yes. Fun fact, in New Charmed, uh, the Elders aren't, like, just the next level of white lighter. They're the next level of witch. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, and they created the White Lighters. Ooh, that gives it a very different dynamic. Yeah. Mm. Honestly, the thing about New Charmed is that it's kind of wasted potential the show because it comes up with all these very interesting ideas and then doesn't do anything with them. Oh, well, then we should really be covering it because that's kind of our jam. Yes. Like, spoilers for New Charmed. When they create white lighters, mm-hmm. uh, they do it by bringing someone back from the dead and splitting them into two aspects, a good half with healing powers and a bad half with hurting powers. Hurting powers? White lighters and dark lighters are both the same person brought back from the dead. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that too. And we meet like their white lighters, dark lighter, and he appears for like three episodes and it seems like he's doing something and then he never shows up again because that's how New Charmed works. Oh. New Charmed will follow a plot thread for like as long as it takes for the writers to get bored and then it will be dropped forever. Oh, like season seven of uh, Once Upon a Time. Exa- exactly. Ugh. Anyway, Leo was there to help them when they first became witches and now he's here to help Max, who is a witch who's just learning his powers. Yes. He he says that he's the one who linked up Max with the spirit board when he was reaching out for help because he's just there to guide and empower and help other witches help each other. And also, that's all he's going to do. When he came to Earth, his only plan was to connect Max to the spirit board and then fuck off. That is not enough help. That is Angel in the first episode of Buffy worth of worthlessness. It's a real tuxedo mask. Right? Ugh. Although it is sort of a welcome change from Leo later where he's basically the only character who ever does anything. Yeah, I guess so. And and I mean, at least he does do things in this episode even though it's not what he's there to do. Yeah. I do really like Phoebe's relationship with Leo here because... She's very enthusiastic about the magical world being bigger than she thought it was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, okay, yeah, but you can't tell Piper or Prue. I I would get in serious trouble if they found out what I am, and I would get in serious trouble if my bosses found out that I was dating a witch, because we're really not supposed to do that, which is a through line they follow through on later. Well, okay. The white lighter can't date the witch, but they fall in love anyway. That's such a classic trope, and I love it. And, okay, this isn't the reason for it, but it's also what happened with their mom. Yep. So, 
Maybe since the Charmed Ones are all heterosexual women, the elders should have sent them a lady white lighter? I'm just saying, the same thing happened with their mom and it got her killed. Well, the fact that that didn't occur to the elders tells me that the white lighter and witch falling in love is just a super common problem. I mean... It probably is. Yeah, we, we do meet other witch white lighters later, even though they make such a huge honking deal out of stopping Leo and uh, Piper from getting together. I mean, well, it's because Piper's so important that it really matters. I guess. I guess if you're a, non-char- if you're a non-charmed one, eh. I mean, it's still against the rules, but nobody really cares. It's against the rules and also, like... I mean... It's probably not healthy no i was it's very much like a psychiatrist patient thing which can never happen i mean it it does it's but... not ethically speaking it can never happen so be, because the bond you first of all it's one way mm-hmm. and secondly it involves so much vulnerability that even if you stopped being patient doctor you can't undo all that vulnerability that you had at one point. Hmm. So it's unethical to date at any point. So we cut from that conversation to Buckland Auction House, where Prue is, you know, at her desk typing so Andy can show up and interrupt her. Yeah, she's got the spirit board with her, and as soon as he walks in, she, like, hides it on the floor next to her. And then she stops him from coming around her desk, even though I don't feel like he was going to come around her desk. She's like, sit right there in that chair. And he's like, this chair that I'm next to? That's where I was going to sit. So he has come in because there is a boy named Max who has gone missing. Uh, His dad says that he's with family, but, you know. Yeah, okay. He looks at Prue and he's like, curious isn't it a boy just like in the dream that you came to tell me about and this was the point in the episode where i was like have a don't ask don't tell arrangement you two obviously that's what you need to do so i do like that as soon as andy comes in and starts talking to her the spirit board's like hey let's send prue another message (laughs) yeah so the spirit board which is down by her feet starts moving on its own of course and she's like with one hand writing down the letters from the spirit board like you do, while still maintaining a conversation with Andy, she's like, oh yeah, kidnap boy, that's interesting. Father denies it, so it's probably like a violent kidnapping. Oh, go on, go on. Yeah, and she's also like looking at the floor, and Andy's like... Is this not engaging enough for you? <laughs> boy kidnapped. Okay, so they do. Con- Andy does confirm that the security guard was wounded. You are right, the security guard is alive. Which... I wonder why that this does sort of feel rewritey, because I definitely got the impression he was dead when he got shot. It's not like we see him again. Yeah. It does feel sort of like, you know, the end of the G.I. Joe movie. Looks like Duke's gonna make a full recovery. <laughs> you know, off screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for good for him. Way to not die, random security guard. Random security guard. Oh, oh. I, I, I told Max before we started this episode that I had a huge surprise for premonitions, so. Okay. Foreshadowing here. Is it Dan Castellaneta? It's not, although, yeah, I can kind of see the resemblance. All right, we'll keep going. Is it Armin Shimmerman? No. Okay. He's, you know, he's in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's the alchemist or the wizard or something. The alchemist, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
so Angie's like, so do you know anything about this missing boy whose name you knew before we knew he was missing because his dad was suspicious as balls and I feel like there's something going on maybe I as a police cop should know about and Prue's like, huh, nope, nope, I'm just, uh, just writing stuff down behind my desk. Don't know what you're talking about, Andy. I'm just doodling. Uh, <laughs> right? Sorry, it's just so hard to stay engaged when people are talking about boring things. And Andy's like, so, just big old waste of my time, okay? And, I, and then he has a like, oh, one day I'm going to figure it out, Prue. You can't hide it from me forever. And she's like, mm-hmm. Evidence suggests that she can, since there's no reason he shouldn't have worked it out yet. She telekinetically detonated an airbag in your face. I mean... She telekinetically threw a dessert cart at you. If you don't know by now, you don't want to know. <laughs> me by now you will never ever 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 know me do you not know that song no the lyrics are if you don't know me by now you will never ever know me fair meanwhile piper is at the restaurant when she gets a phone call dun 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 yeah from prue they're using it to change scenes i'm telling you i love this i i did not notice it before but they do it like four or five times every episode yeah so uh prue's like hey so max is a boy not a ghost and he has been kidnapped and uh, what do you think we should do and piper's like let the police know and Prue's like the police already know but it's Andy so we know this crime isn't going to get solved Prue's like I'll take care of it myself don't worry about it I don't need power of three this week and then which she doesn't it's true and then the jerky new chef throws a bunch of new menus in Piper's face and complains that she threw away all his crab which she threw away one colander's worth of crab if that was all the crab you cooked it was a bad idea to put it up as a special yes so Prue goes to see the boy's father. Uh, Andy gave her the boy's full name, which doesn't seem like the sort of thing you should do as a cop, but whatever. And the boy's father's like, Max, Max is fine. He's staying with relatives. And Prue's like... Also, he has like a distinctive wound on his face from where the kidnappers hit him with a gun. But, you know, pay no attention to this. I got it in a boating accident. I mean, boating accident. Goodbye. Oh, so That's a Simpsons reference. Yes. So Prue tries to convince him that she can help him, and she tries to convince him by using her powers to lift up one of his family photos and throw it into his hands. Okay, so we'll talk about it more when we go back to Prue. Leo and Phoebe are at Quake to have a conversation about how Leo should break up with Piper. Okay, it's... Yeah, okay, so... Oh, and he uses magic to refill Phoebe's empty water glass? She was really dehydrated. It counts as healing. Honestly, I feel like you could do a lot of stuff with White Lighters being able to do only things that their witches need. I feel like that would be kind of... That would be interesting, Yeah. yeah. So, Piper is so busy in the kitchen dealing with this problem chef that... It's giving Phoebe and Leo lots of time to talk about this breakup. And uh, here's the thing. He keeps trying to, like, rehearse ways to break up with her. And Phoebe keeps being like, no, she's going to think you have a secret family. Or no, she's going to think that you hate her. Or But listen, listen. There's no... 
it's not a good way to break up with someone. It's true. There's no way to break up with someone where you're not going to hurt them. Especially in this instance when you have a huge secret that you're not planning to tell her. Like, you're not going to give her anything satisfying because she's not going to really know the reason. You just... You know what? He should not have come back to the manor. Yeah, I mean... I, I get it. Like, this is part of his thing. Like, he wanted to come back to the manor he so he could... He wanted to see her. Yeah. Because there is really no reason other than that for him to come back. Like, he already connected them with Max. He didn't need to be there physically. Yeah. But, honestly, I kind of think that he let Phoebe see him, too. Later... Yeah. Later, witches just straight up know about their white lighters, but... No, I actually really like the idea that he let Phoebe see him, especially since we established earlier that Phoebe cannot keep a secret. Leo must have known that. Yeah. Yeah. Phoebe, and Phoebe mentioned that when he's like, you can't tell anyone. She's like, but earlier in this episode, we established that I can't keep secrets. And I mean, to be fair, we've established that prior in this show. Yeah. Yeah. So back with Max's father, he's talking to prue about his wife and i know this is all just sort of to further the prue andy thing which eh, but i really really like the vignette we have here where Mm -hmm. uh his wife was a witch he didn't find out until after they had been together for a pretty long time i think he didn't find out until she was about he's kind of vague on the timeline but his wife died of cancer and i think he didn't find out until right before she died and i think she only told him I think she told him when he when she got sick. Right. And she only told him because Max's powers were, you know, coming out. And she knew that he would have to deal with that. Yeah. And he's like... And Prue said, maybe she didn't tell you because she didn't think you would handle it and she wanted to be with you. And he's like, I think it did a major disservice to our relationship to hide something like that from me. I would have loved her anyway. And... It, it hurt me that she kept such a big part of herself hidden. And this is such a good scene. And honestly, this is the sort of thing Charm should be doing more. Well, another thing I was thinking, because I agree, and I was feeling how if Constance and Burge had stayed on the show, we would have seen so much more of this. So uh, I really like this scene, and I feel like it's building off something we saw, weirdly enough, last episode which is that there is this greater community of witches out there. <laughs> the Charmed Ones are just completely uninterested in connecting with them. Which? I mean, not in this episode. I, I really feel like this episode should set up Prue as having a relationship with this kid. But, it, nope. Nope. Actually, honestly, good thing for that kid, because otherwise he would have had another mother figure die on him in a couple of years. Oof. Yeah, right? That would really mess him up. So, God, I just, I really love Max's dad as a character, because, like, she talks about how, like, look, you should work on forgiving your wife. It's a really difficult position. He's like, I just... I know it's unfair, but I feel like she abandoned me. I feel like she dropped all of this in my lap and then abandoned me. And it's not just hurting me, it's hurting Max because I don't know how to help him with this sort of thing. I think it's a really good exploration of grief, you know, Uh, that you don't usually get on television. So we didn't mention what the spirit board was actually saying to... We didn't. True. It said kidnapped auto shop. 
Mm. Which is important because she tells Max's father about the clue she got from the spirit board and asks him if he knows any auto shop that he might be talking about. And... And Max's dad is like, oh, thank goodness, he's working with the stupidest kidnappers ever. The brother of the kid he broke into the arcade with works at an auto shop. That's obviously where they are. Yeah. Who plans a kidnapping from out of their place of business? It's such a bad idea. So we immediately cut to Prue going to Oakland, which it's a good nod to the fact that they're in San Francisco, to save Max from the back of this auto shop. And uh, Max is like, you you, you better watch out. They're, they've got guns and stuff. And Prue's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And one of them, one of the kidnappers comes in and she just telekinetically throws him into a wall. And then the other one comes in and she telekinetically throws him into a wall. It's really funny the way it's like the exact same move twice. And she's starting to untie Max. But then one of the kidnappers gets up and hits her over the back of the head with a gun. It's, it's not even a gun. It's like a metal pipe. Like... Probably one of those uh, tire dealies. Yeah, it's probably tire iron because they're they're in an auto shop. But seriously, Prue, come on! You're a witch. You have powers. You couldn't keep two mortal guys down for like thirty seconds. So while Prue is out, she regains consciousness as we fade back in. While she was out, they jerry rigged a bomb to Max. Okay, yeah. So they wired him up with explosives around his waist, and they have this little detonator and if he doesn't do what they want him to do they're going to detonate him and i put in my notes these guys are going to a lot of work to steal money like this is a lot more work than the money i feel like is going to be worth also you make a fair amount of money as an auto mechanic i mean come on also also prue's telekinetic the kid's telekinetic. You got the kid because he can disable electronics. <laughs> These are the worst kidnappers ever. Yep. Just no getting around that. So they're like, don't even try anything or we'll blow up the kid. And, uh... Yeah, so... Guess how this is going to resolve. Right. I, I wonder if the kid who can disable electronics with his mind is going to disable this electronic with his mind at any point. Not to, like, spoil it or anything. I mean, also, you know, Prue, you're telekinetic and he needs the detonator to make it blow up. You could just float it into the air like you were doing with all that other stuff earlier in the episode. Right. Ugh. But Prue's like, hey, just stay calm. Do everything they say. I'm going to be here with you. To make sure that you make it through alive. And the kid's like, I'm sorry that I got you into this. I'm sorry I have these powers. And Prue's like, no, powers are a good thing. It's not your fault. It's their fault. You shouldn't feel bad for the bad things that they're making you do. Which, solid. That's nice. It's good. It's good momming. Which is, of course, what's happening to Prue in this episode. She's realizing, wait, maybe I do have that maternal gene. Yeah. I mean... Again, this is why we established early when she's like, I don't want kids, so that she could have this bonding thing with a kid, and then she'll want kids by the end of the episode, but it won't matter because she's going to die. Damn, that was a dark run-on sentence. Yeah. So, what the nice kidnapper's like, don't you think wiring a bomb to the kid's kind of extreme? And the guy's like, you saw what she could do. It's pretty cool, though, right? And the good kidnapper's like, what? And he's like, 
Hmm. Yeah, no, the bad kidnapper is like, hey, maybe she'll come in useful too. Really? Really? You think you're going to keep control over two witches? I've got it. We'll just get a whole bunch of jaguars and release them into the bank. And they'll eat all the security guards and then we can run in and just grab all of the money. This plan is flawless. So, back at Quake, Leo is trying to have the breakup conversation with Piper. Well, first of all, Leo is taking forever to get to the point because he's doing all this buildup where he's like, I love you so much and I'm so happy to see you, but I have something so important to tell you. And then Harry interrupts them by coming out and, you know... Where the hell is my coriander? Which, what? I... I <sighs> Okay, so here's something interesting. Mm -hmm. When Piper stands up and starts to stomp back to the kitchen, she says, all right, that's it. I'm ending this now. And as you mentioned, he gets fired off screen. Mm -hmm. But that line, I'm ending this right now, is obviously ADR'd. Oh, yeah, it's really obviously ADR'd. It was obviously recorded somewhere else after the episode was filmed. And sometimes they do that because a line isn't picked up properly by mics. But sometimes they do that because they changed the script at the last second and they had to, like, fit things in. Do you think there was a whole different subplot that ended up mostly on the cutting room floor? I do think that. And the fact that the line is so poorly ADR'd is what makes me think that. Mm. So she's like, that's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this once and for all. And Phoebe's like, oh my god, he told you. And Piper's like, yeah, Harry... Chef Harry told me he's a dick. I'm going to go take care of him. And Phoebe's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like that they didn't drag on this miscommunication past, like, three lines. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Daryl! Okay. Okay. I feel like I want to start a segment, although for reasons it wouldn't last very long. Mm -hmm. That's just Andy Trudeau, world's greatest detective. So... Andy, so Daryl's like, yeah, I figure I found out who the two kidnappers are by, you know, being a cop for 10 seconds. Yeah, we had security camera footage of them sitting in their car. Yeah, it's weird how, like, when you look at things and compare them to other things, you find out more stuff than if you go crying to your ex-girlfriend every 10 seconds. Okay, but then Andy, like, looks at it and he gets this puzzled look on his face and he's like, huh, bank robbers, but... How does kidnapping a kid who can disable security systems fit into all of this? Dear Lord, Andy. It's good to know that he's a bad detective about things that don't have to do with the Charmed Ones. I guess. God, poor Daryl. I know, he really has a lot of dead weight. Why the kid? Why? How does the kid fit into this? How does the kid that we know can disable security systems, although... Presumably, they think he does it non-magically. Yeah, yeah. But, but, no, but even if he does do it non-magically, that's a thing you want. So, speaking of that thing you mentioned... Right? Yeah, as, after you pointed it out, I can't help but notice, he calls Phoebe, and he's like, Hey, Phoebe, do you know anything about a boy named Max Prue was talking about earlier? And Phoebe's like, sorry, Andy, gotta go. Yeah, and now we're in the manor. Okay, also, we're in the manor, and Leo is telling Phoebe that he cannot contact, he can't reach Prue or Max telepathically. Mm-hmm. 
that's like his whole deal as a white lighter is that he can hear them when they're in trouble yeah it's i we talked about how his powers like come and go that's the only power that's important for white lighters is that you can hear your charges when they're in trouble yeah okay so white lighters have a variety of different powers over the course of charmed but their three most consistent powers are orbing, which is uh, teleporting in this like shower of blue sparkles, mm-hmm. healing, and sensing when your charges are in danger. Yep. Sometimes they can feel their charges' pain. Sometimes they just hear them when they call out. Although, hmm. Are you thinking that because Max isn't actually calling out to him, it's not working? I guess, yeah. But at this point, they're still acting like, no, but that doesn't work because later Max does call out to him even though he doesn't know he exists. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So we just have to we just have to keep we just have to keep Prue and Max separated for long enough that, you know, Prue can resolve her mother issues. Separated? From the rest of the cast. Ah, uh, okay. So Piper comes into the room and Leo's like, oh, I wasn't talking about contacting anyone telepathically or anything. We were just talking about football. So Phoebe's like, I'll leave you two alone. And Piper's like, yeah, good. Because now that Harry has quit. Off screen. Off screen. My plot is resolved and I can finally talk to Leo. And Leo's like, uh, I have to talk to you. And and piper freezes him and she's like phoebe is he gonna break up with me and phoebe's like yes (laughs) i mean to be fair phoebe's like i really think you should have this conversation with him which does yes mean yes okay so can we talk about what happens with the breakup i feel like you wanted to talk about that and i kind of did too because it's really weird honestly i think piper is incredibly mature in this situation I really like how she handles this because Leo's getting started on this, like, I really like you and I want to be in a relationship with you, but, and Piper's like, no, I know. You were really upfront about the fact that you travel a lot for work and I don't want to have a long distance thing. I think it's a good idea for us to put on the brakes before we get too serious because, if I'm going to be in a relationship with someone, it needs to be a relationship with someone who's around. And I do like you a lot, and I appreciate that you wanted to have this conversation with me before we got too heavy, which I think is a really mature thing to do. Okay, I think you put your finger on why it was confusing to me. Okay. Who's this sensible, mature person walking around wearing Piper's face? <laughs> Point. <laughs> Yeah, that is a that is kind of out of character for Piper. Yes, I I literally literally watching this, I was like, "What's her deal? What's her plan? What's she hiding?" Even though I know she's it's nothing. Just you're right. She's just being sensible and mature. Oh, anyway, then Leo starts to feel Max calling out because he's in danger and he's gonna go save the day or whatever. Yeah. Like, he he runs out. He's like, I have to go. My planet needs me. I know that I didn't interfere at all, and I said I wasn't going to, but I guess now I am. So, meanwhile, bank robbing. Yeah, okay, so the bank robbers are gearing up for their bank robbing in the auto shop. Again, this is such a... This is so... This is so... 
Okay. Also, they're bringing Prue because the bad one wants to keep an eye on her because he doesn't trust her. And they might, like, need her to use her powers because that'll definitely go well for them. And then, and then, Max's dad shows up and is like, hey, I tracked you down because it's really obvious where you are and Prue never came back with my son. And the kidnapper, the good kidnapper, like, hustles them into the van and... The bad kidnapper shoots Max's dad. In the auto shop that they work at! They're just straight up not good at their jobs. The auto shop jobs or the robbery jobs. Right? Slash murder jobs, I suppose. Yeah. Ugh. Now, the robber uses a silencer when he shoots Max's dad. And since this is TV, that means that no one can hear the gunshot. Prue sees Max's dad's body as they're driving away, but Max does not. Yeah, and she kind of hides his face. Yeah. I bring this up because this is going to be... Because I'm going to have a question about it in a few scenes. So, with nine minutes left in the episode, let's rob some banks. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's a bank robbery, right? They pull up to the bank and they show Max the schematics just like they did before. And then we get the shots where he's... You know, reaching out with his mind and disabling the alarm systems. And we see him disabling them one by one and even, like, opening up the spinny thing on the vault doors. Yeah, he just throws all of the doors open. What's that called? What's the spinny thing on a vault door called? I have no clue. All right. Y'all know what I mean, right? The spinny thing. You've all seen cartoons. You know what, you know how vaults work. You know what a bank vault looks like. This is a really nice bank branch they're in, by the way. This is, like... One of those bank branches that they have in historic downtowns. Oh, yeah. I would take a tour of a vault like this. Oh. I feel like that would be a fun thing to do. That would be interesting. So. <laughs> so, Prue's, so while the guys are in the vault, like, loading up on their riches, Prue's like, hey, use your powers to disable the bomb they put on you. And the good kidnapper's like, I don't want you two getting any ideas Max stands slightly far away from Prue, and Max telekinetically... Max just, you know, disables the bomb, and, uh, you know, not only does he disable the bomb, he undisables the alarms. Yeah, he makes the alarms start blaring again, and listen, he makes the alarms start blaring again, and a bunch of security guards come running down, like... What's all this then? And I'm like, wow, it's a good thing for these bank robbers that apparently bank security guards are as bad at their jobs as the robbers are. Because I know they disabled the alarms, but were there not security cameras? And even if Max disabled the security cameras, I feel like that itself should make you want to come downstairs and see what's going on. And also, if your job is to guard a bank, I feel like one of you should be next to the money. Yeah, one would think. Especially when there are multiple guards, which we see there are. So Prue telekinetically throws the guards out of the way before the bank robbers can shoot them, and then telekinetically throws the robbers in the vault, and then telekinetically locks the vault. Yeah, I love that the one robber, the bad robber, is still trying to use the switch to detonate the bomb, and it's like, we... You saw him, you saw him break the bomb with his mind. Yeah. So Prue locks them in the vault, and then she, like, starts to hightail it out of there. And Max is like, shouldn't we explain what happened to the cops? And Prue's like, no, they're bad. They're as bad at their job as everyone else is. Trust me, bad idea. 
Meanwhile, Max's dad is bleeding out in the garage when, holy shit, it's fucking Leo doing the weirdest orb we ever see in this. Okay. Okay, so the reason it's so weird is because they're doing it super, super slowly so that Max's dad can think it's his dead wife. He's like, Paulette? And then, like, it forms and it's Leo and it's like... Oh, some random white guy. Yep. Oh, uh, Max and his dad are black. Yeah. I, I do like that Leo is like... I do like what Leo says, though. He says, it's not time to be with your wife. It's, it's time to be with your son. Yeah. It, and it's a nice moment. He heals Max's dad. Okay, can we talk about him healing Max's dad? Is it the fact that he also heals his shirt? Oh, no. That's whatever. Because that, he does that all the time. I'm not worried about that. No. He can heal random people who were shot by guns. Thought he could only heal witches. Thought he could only heal his charges. Okay. White Lighter healing is massively, massively inconsistent over the course of this show. We see Leo heal pipes. That's true. We do see that. But he can't heal a guy who got turned into an owl when the owl gets shot. I do believe that we see him heal ordinary human people. Okay. But he can't heal half demons except sometimes he can. See, the problem with the White Lighter healing is... Why isn't he just using that all the time? Like, as much as we praised Max's power because it wasn't show-breaking, healing really is show-breaking. Well, I mean, kind of later in the show, the Charmed Ones get fatally injured two or three times an episode just because they can. Yeah, I guess I guess the answer is you just keep Leo really busy. Yeah, like... I know this isn't a thing that after this one episode, everyone knows about their white lighters all the damn time, but maybe this is why white lighters don't want witches to know about them because they become too reliant on them. (laughs) I I like that that's not actually a thing. Leo just told that to Phoebe because he didn't want to tell them because he knew he would be run ragged. Mm, Yeah. But I, I think, I think white light, well, Later, we get a thing where Leo's like, I can only heal people who are injured while fighting evil. Yeah. Which... But then what's evil? Like, were these bank robbers evil? Because they're humans, right? So does evil have to be a demon, like capital E evil? Or is the fact that they kidnapped a child and we're going to blow them up sufficiently evil? I mean, again, nothing about the White Lighters is ever consistently, you know, enforced. I'm fairly certain he heals a splinter Piper gets at one point. (laughs) Well, but that's his wife, so... Okay. Spoilers. Yes. All right. I do want to talk about what I think is a really cool special effect work here. Mm-hmm. So after Leo heals... Max's dad. Right. Whose, whose name is actually Gordon Franklin. He does have a name. Mm. After he heals Gordon and he tells him, you know, take care of your son, raise him well. And then he orbs out and... The orb becomes the lens flare on the headlight of the truck pulling in. That is a really cool effect. Uh, you know what? I really like that. Yeah, and and I it's and and the truck that's coming back. It's it's the truck that the robbers took, but now it's being driven by Prue, bringing back Max. And okay, here's my question from before. What did she think she was bringing Max back to? And did she prepare him for it? Because he does not seem surprised at all to see that his dad is fine. Yeah, so... Yeah. I mean, I get that she'd want to go back to 
rescue Max's dad, maybe. Yeah, I understand hightailing it there right away. Like, maybe it wasn't a fatal shot. Absolutely. But she didn't prep this kid at all for what he was probably going to see. Seriously. Also, maybe call an ambulance? Yeah! Like, we know they have cell phones. Or at least we know Piper has a cell phone. Yeah, she, yeah, Prue might not have a cell phone. And even if she does, she might not have had it with her. I was going to say, we know Prue does have a cell phone because of the Dream Sorcerer episode. Right, but she might not have had it with her. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're, I guess if you're kidnapping someone, you take away their cell phone. Well, also, I, I feel like in the 90s, we didn't all keep our cell phones with us all the time. Like, I literally just kept mine in the glove box of my car in case I needed something if my car broke down. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't also a conduit to the internet. Point. So, Max's dad hugs Max, and Prue's like, the shit dude you were dying i saw you bleeding out on the ground and max's dad was like i guess a higher power was looking out for me and then he winks up at the ceiling and Prue's like what what's going on what's happening there so prue also says the same words that leo said to max's dad she's like yeah look out for max and raise him well as a little witch and as a reward, Max's dad brings them to Max's mom's grave. Yeah. Well, it's a nice scene because he and Max are, you know, there. They're, they're doing their grieving thing. And Max's dad tells him, you know, I was really mad at your mom for dying and for not telling me her secret and for, you know, leaving me with this huge thing with you that I had to deal with that I was not prepared for. And I am so sorry that I was feeling that. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that that made it harder for you and I'm going to be a good dad and I'm going to train you to be an awesome witch. And... Yeah, he, which I think is a really important thing parentally, not just, you know, that he asks Max to forgive him because he did a bad job handling this situation. I know not everything is queer subtext, but it really, <laughs> it really felt like, you know... The flip side of, have you tried not being a mutant? Hmm. Your mom didn't tell me she was bisexual before she died, and now you're bisexual, and I'm having a hard time coming to terms with that. Well, more like, I'm sorry that I wasn't accepting when I found out what you are, but that was a problem with me, and I love you and accept you completely. I I wish we had spent more time with this family instead of Piper having her dumb subplot. God, yeah. Because this is all really good emotional resolution, and you know what it's kind of like? What? It's kind of like a much better version. You know what? I feel like this is a thing with Constance and Burge. I feel like this is a much better version of that subplot we had with Phoebe where she got a premonition about that missing girl. When she was briefly working at the auction oh, house. Oh, God, that plotline that weirdly, like, didn't exist. Yeah, that plotline w- that was, like, three scenes that were awkwardly crowbarred into the rest of uh, whatever episode it was in. I can't even remember. And relied on you assuming so much stuff had happened in between scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might have been in the Wendigo plot. Was I'm... it? Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> God. But this is like Constance and Burge saw that episode and was like, hey, why don't I do a version of that that doesn't suck? Right? This is her just like owning all of the other writers. It's a pretty good flex. I mean, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure that these episodes are done. Yeah, I'm sure that there's like a system and cards on the board and all that stuff. So we go from the graveyard back to the manor. 
where Prue has decided she's super cool with having babies. Also, Kit, watch 2020. Oh my Kit. gosh, two scenes with Kit in them? Yeah, uh, Prue is telekinetically chasing Kit with a little toy train, which is, it's cute. That is cute. So, I mean, I have to assume that this scene and the opening scene were shot on the same day. Mm-hmm. So that's probably, they only had... They probably only had the animal wrangler for one day. Yeah. And that's why they were able to get Kit in two scenes. Because they're back in the attic and they're going through the toys again. And Piper explains that she's sad about Leo, especially because it felt like he was holding something back. Like he had a secret that he didn't want to tell them. And then Phoebe's like, you mean like the fact that he's a white lighter, which is kind of like a guardian angel for witches, and he definitely healed that kid Max's dad? And Prue's like, oh, Phoebe, you're so stupid and funny. Mostly stupid. Like, what? You know she spent a lot of time alone with him. Like, you're witches. Like, it would explain stuff that had happened. Yeah. But they just act like Phoebe was making a joke about him being a guardian angel for witches. And that's why he couldn't date Piper because his bosses would get mad. And Prue's like oh, Phoebe, you should write children's books. And Phoebe's like, huh, maybe I should write children's books, which feels like it's setting something up that is never followed up Yeah, on. I was going to say this would be interesting foreshadowing if she wrote children's books. Much the way then we get the point where Prue wants to actually not give the toys away because she's realized maybe she does want to be a mom. Another thing that would be good foreshadowing if Prue wasn't about to be killed. Honestly, I feel like Prue does get a couple of really good plots where she works with kids. Yeah, no, I just, because of things with the cast, yeah. they never really got to develop that. But Phoebe points out, she's like, hey, so did you change your mind about wanting kids? And Prue's like, you know what? Maybe I did. And Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Until the future episode where we find out that I don't have kids and then it becomes a moot point because I die. Oh, and oh, then... Oh, God, yeah. Phoebe has this dumb thing. So, uh, we have to go out on a terrible line when Phoebe's like, so did you save Max? Or did he save you? I mean, technically... Credits. Technically, that is true, because she's like, hey, Max, telekinetically undo that bomb, and he did, and then she telekinetically threw the, uh... Yeah, but she wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for him. Point. So, I feel like we kind of talked around it a lot but this is a really really good episode well i know and it makes me sad because i feel like this episode and other episodes like this are kind of a little glimpse into what the show could have been if constance and burge had stayed on it yeah like again i want to see the charmed that this show represents yeah like a wider community of witches sort of the greater influence of magic on the world so okay there's going to be a weird Charmed Buffy analogy. Okay. As you know, Max, and as our listeners probably don't know, but might, depending on who they are, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the playwright Christopher Marlowe. Yes. And the thing about Christopher Marlowe is his plays, he's not better than Shakespeare. But if you look at what he was writing when he died and what Shakespeare was writing when Marlowe died... If he had not been stabbed in that bar fight, we would not talk about Shakespeare. We would talk about Marlowe. I feel like that's how it is with Charmed. Like, if Constance M. Burge had not been pushed out, 
I mean, Buffy still would have been better because it was just like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. But Charmed would have been so much better. It would have grown into such a more interesting show instead of interesting in a good way instead of interesting in the way that I can't wait to talk about. Instead of interesting in the two-part mermaid episode that's just Alyssa Milano and scale pace mermaid's tale yes exactly which was also setting up its own spinoff but we'll get to that when we get to it oh i can't wait i can't wait i wonder if that pilot's floating around anywhere oh gosh i will hey if anyone who listens to us has access to that pilot which speaking of okay so you should try to look this up I'll, I'll try to find information about it so we can put it in our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. But you remember that thing I showed you not too long ago about it, it was a pilot that never got picked up. It was sirens, sirens about a group uh, about three sirens who are an actual real life band oh, who, who come to Earth to fight aquatic based evil and also have music careers. Yeah, please, if anyone has anything relating to Sirens, let us know. Mermaids were a real hot ticket there for a while. I feel like that's a, that's another cyclical thing that every few years or so we get inundated with mermaid media and then it just kind of pulls back. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I look forward to it. I mean, I'm... I like mermaids. Yeah. Better than zombies. Oh, God, definitely. The one exception, of course, being Z-O-M-B-I-E-S, which is, you know, good zombies. Yes. Well, okay. The Disney movie Zombies, yes. Also, Mira Grant, uh, Mira Grant's feed books are good zombies. I liked Warm Bodies, too. I do like Warm Bodies as well. Yeah, so... Okay, you can do zombies if you're doing something interesting with them. I, zombie. Well, I was going to say, Mira Grant, who who did... who Mira Grant is Shannon McGuire's name when she's writing urban fantasy. Ah. But she did good zombie books. She also did an amazing mermaid horror book called Into the Drowning Deep. I think that should about do it for this week. Let's talk about segments. All right, so segments. I know you have been itching to hit me with a premonition. Okay, so so here's the thing. The security... Oh, premonitions is... It's the segment in which we look into the future and see which actors, minor or major, in an episode will become famous later. Or, in some cases, were famous in the past. So the security guard at the computer programming place where they first break in... Mm Mm-hmm. Is on screen for literally half a second, less than a full second, and has one line, which is, hey. All right. It was very difficult for me to get a screenshot because he's on there for less than a second. This is the screenshot. Okay, so this man's name. Mm-hmm, because I, I don't recognize him. This man's name is Michael Bunnan. Mm-hmm. And here's another picture of him. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh my god, it's it's Jeff from Superstore! Yes, it's Jeff from Superstore! Mind blown! Wow! Wow! Dang! Wow! I'm, I'm gonna put that screenshot on our Twitter and on our Facebook because it was so hard to get! He's literally on screen for half a second! Wow! Wow, good on him! 
getting an actual career many years after this. Yes, yes. By the way, I don't know if our listeners watch Superstore because I don't think we really talk about it. You should. It's very good. It is incredibly... I feel like Superstore does not get the attention it deserves. You have to make it through the... I mean, I, I enjoyed the first season, but when it starts getting really heavily into corporate culture is when it gets really good, and that's around late season one. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Uh, We'll move on to our second segment, Time Freeze. What specifically dated this episode for you? So actually a lot in this episode felt kind of timeless to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, There wasn't a lot of dated technology or anything. I mean, it's kind of a stretch, but I would say maybe the fact that the boys broke into an arcade. Oh, yeah, that... And I mean, even that, we live in Portland where arcades are still... Well, not now. I was going to say arcades are still a thriving business. Obviously, we're talking about the before times, which... Okay, so this is the thing which I feel like was a huge thing in pop culture at the time, but the fact that the place that they break into is a computer chip processing plant. Oh, yeah. Because computer chips were the thing back in the day. You know, like, that was the thing that made the doll that was going to replace Tyra Banks in that Tyra Banks doll movie special. Oh, yeah. Like, things had, or wasn't that the thing with Home Alone also? Like, there was a computer chip or something that the kid had, or that might have been, like, the third Home Alone movie when they stopped trying. Yeah, no, the first Home Alone movie, the thing he had was the talk boy. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no. I always wondered why they just didn't try a different house. I've seen, I saw Home Alone, like, once when I was a very small child and i never had any urge to revisit it yeah like why did it become personal for them as soon as one thing goes wrong you walk away this is how you get caught why did it get personal seriously (laughs) so uh basically it was just the computer chip processing plant and also kind of leo's hair yeah yeah i I mean and leo's jacket leo leo is a very 90s aesthetic guy yeah he's exactly the kind of guy that was really attractive in the 90s which is unfortunate for him because he was from the, what, 40s? Oh, you mean the character. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I guess that'll take us to our last segment, telekinesis. What genuinely moved you? So for me, it was the scene at the graveyard with uh, Max's dad and Max having their conversation. Okay, similar but not the same. Mine's the conversation uh, the dad had with Prue about how angry he was at the mom. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like like you said at the time it's a side of grief you don't really get to see that often yeah and i did like that they touched on like he misses his wife but he's also legit you can argue legitimately angry that she kept this from him yeah like left him unprepared to help their son when he's dealing with this massive life-changing thing yeah and i guess that'll about do it yeah i guess that's it for this week Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. Uh, If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this show, or any show... Sirens! Yeah, if you want to talk about Sirens, or if you want to talk about Superstore, yeah, head over to our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at ILoveTVZines on Twitter, or ILoveTelevisionZines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hollywood Manor. Manor.